0: Hello, I'm Kevin Richard. President Kevin Satterley made some news in August when he addressed the Idaho State University community. He pledged to make the Pocatello campus into a carbon neutral campus. And he also challenged the university community to redouble its efforts in engagement and civil discourse. This week, I had a chance to talk to Satterley about both of those initiatives and also talk to him about what the enrollment picture looks like for this fall, student retention, student scholarships, and the makeover of Idaho State University's Holt Arena. So this is, you could say, a Kevin and Kevin podcast. Here's our conversation. President Satterly, thanks for taking the time this week uh, to be on the podcast. You're about a month into the new school year. Well, let's talk a little bit about how it's going so far. Are there any surprises uh, this school year?
1: no, not really. Things are going along pretty smooth. Uh, we're happy to have everybody back on campus, faculty, staff, and students alike. There's a lot of energy on campus right now. I think people are happy to be back. And um, our enrollments have come in well. You know, We don't have our official enrollment numbers until October right. 15th, but our initial numbers look strong, which is good because uh we had a nice enrollment increase last year and we've been able to sustain that going into
0: this year so we're feeling good about where we are um so it's
1: it's been a good start to the
0: semester Can, can you drill that down a little bit more i mean i love talking about enrollment that's a pet topic here but i know you don't have the final numbers but you have a pretty good indication of what it's looking like so where do you think uh where do you think it's changed where do you think you're you're seeing growth areas
1: Well, let me give you a a couple of examples. Our our transfer numbers are looking good, so we're getting more transfer students. But um, one of the areas where we're coming strong um, and we're coming strong this fall uh, in particular is in where we have continuing students Mm -hmm. that we didn't lose. So, you know, Kevin, I've pushed really hard on retention as an issue here on our campus. Yeah, you know, we are we're a campus where a lot of Idaho kids, I mean, our enrollment is about 90% uh, from Idaho right. and not from out of state so much. It's where these Idaho kids, when they come to us to better their lives through education, I think it's very important that we work on our retention because I don't want them coming just one year and stopping out for whatever reason mm-hmm. financial, academic, you name it. So we've been working really hard on a lot of retention efforts across the campus. So, Um, in the last three years, our average, uh, number of continuing students that don't continue into the next fall. So a student that was here last fall, but then this fall wouldn't be here. Our average loss has been around 230 students a year that we've Mm -hmm. been just losing for whatever reason at all, at all grade levels. So that's our three-year average. 230. This year, our number of loss of continuing students was 23. Wow. So, literally 10% of what our prior year's numbers were like. And it's and it, it's a combination of all of our retention issues. It's this uh, Navigate software that we have implemented mm-hmm. that is catching students academically. It's some of our scholarship efforts to hit, hit some of the affordability. It is the uh, campus experience that we are changing with more on campus events that connect students to our community and make them have a sense of community here and want to be here. Uh, so many of these efforts in, in many areas are, are taking hold. That's what we're seeing. And to see that number drop so much year over year makes me really feel like these retention efforts we are pushing are, are having an impact and that feels really good right now.
0: No, I mean, that's a, that's a remarkable set of numbers there. You talked about Navigate, and I, I know a little bit about that, and I know a, a little bit about what you've done institutionally to put money into retention, the, the hiring of academic advisors. Talk a little bit more about both, uh, for listeners who maybe aren't, uh, who haven't heard about Navigate. It's an interesting uh, program.
1: Sure. Yeah. So Navigate is a, is a computer software program, an algorithm it was developed by the education advisory board in conjunction with Georgia state university Mm -hmm. and Georgia state. If, if you read the chronicle of higher education or um, higher ed news, you realize that Georgia state is widely heralded nationally as the leader in improving their retention and graduation rates. And demographically as an institution, there are a lot of similarities between Georgia state and Idaho state. They serve students with a similar, uh, eligibility, those students that are Pell, uh, uh, aid eligible, which means they're, um, they're, uh, low income students, first generation students. They have a, they're a research university, much like Idaho state, a public research. So there's a lot of similarities and they implemented this software, uh, about a decade ago and moved their retention numbers dramatically and their graduation numbers dramatically. And other states and other universities have started looking at this Navigate model. We're the first ones in Idaho to implement it. Um, we sent a team down to Georgia State, learned how they implemented it, how to do it. And, and we're doing that here. And what it does is um, it takes this data that the faculty input about what's going on in classes and it identifies students who have or might in the future have some academic Um, concerns, but it identifies it before they actually have the concerns. Mm -hmm. Like it will send a a notice to our academic advisors. Hey, here's a student who maybe three or four weeks from now is going to be academically in in some trouble, but do the intervention now before they actually get to that point. And, um, and because of that, that's why we've needed to invest in these academic advisors because their workload is going up Mm -hmm. because we are identifying those students earlier and we're intervening earlier.
0: And where are you at in terms of hiring those additional academic advisors? And I know you're funding it internally as opposed to a state line item that, that you've been pursuing.
1: Right, which was really unfortunate because I, I put that in last year's budget request to the state, and it, the the total ask was $450,000 um, to fund these, this initiative. And we had been talking with the legislature for years, last couple of years, we've been implementing Navigated, we've been working on this for a while. Um, so I was disappointed when that didn't get funded. Um, and uh, so what we have done is we have approached, um, we've done some internal planning and we've approached some of our um, you know, phil- philanthropic donors. And to their credit, the Albertsons Foundation um, stepped up and, and gave us some of the money um, to do this. And is in this because they see this as a real retention initiative uh, part of affecting our go-on rate and, and our college graduation rate in idaho i'm so much appreciative of their seeing the value of this so between them and some other donors and internally we are hiring those academic advisors now because the need is now right now is when this this software is in place it's identifying these students and we want to get right. them you're help. starting
0: to see the kids who may be at risk of uh they're approaching the cliff you don't want to see them fall exactly
1: and and as i've often said about this it's it's to me it really is one of those moral imperatives that we have a student who comes here uh, these are good idaho kids they they're smart they they want to be successful they want to better their life but everybody you know could use some help once in a while and and if they get that help they need and we intervene at the right time they will be successful and that's the key
0: <laughs> Scholarships are obviously part of this whole equation, too. You talked about that already. It seems like Idaho State is really trying to find kind of niche scholarships and carve out funding where you can, whether it's uh, College of Education doing scholarships for their students, uh, one that you just announced recently uh, using some National Science Foundation uh, money for transfer students in the sciences. Is that kind of a conscious effort to find you know pockets of money and niches of students who maybe need some help.
1: Yeah, and it's not uh, yes it is Kevin, thanks for asking about that because our scholarships isn't about just you know driving enrollment and getting more students to enroll. It's about realizing that one of the number one reasons our students give for why they stop out, why they will start school but then have to stop is financial. And so it is really about retention and helping them reach their goals. And and, and, and sometimes it's that marginal uh, amount of money. It's not having to come up with a full scholarship for a student, but it's the amount that keeps, you know, and makes the difference for them. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we're doing. We're trying to target that in a way that is helping that student make sure that affordability doesn't become the problem. Um, and, you know, you know, I've talked about this before. Uh, I don't want to price Idaho kids out of uh, education, which is why... Uh, trying to keep tuition low is important in and of itself but the scholarship is about more than just making it affordable it's about it's about filling that gap need to make sure that student can continue Mm -hmm. Um, and i think if we can address the the academic intervention so they don't have an academic reason to stop out if we can hit the right place at the right time with some scholarship to keep them And if we can continue to build those efforts that make them connected to
0: our community,
1: those are our three biggest retention pushes.
0: And I gotta suspect that the emphasis on scholarships, on finding new scholarships is all the more important because it sounds like the tuition freeze over the past three years. It's gonna be hard to continue that. It it may be, uh, you you may be at a point where you simply have to uh, look at a tuition increase next fall.
1: Yeah, and that's unfortunate. I mean, inflation is hitting everywhere in our economy, right? And, and so higher education institutions are no different. The, for example, um, our uh, uh, utility bills here at the university, and we're a large organization with several campuses and we pay, you know, um, we pay gas and electrical and water bills just like everyone else. Um, and our, uh, our, natural gas and electrical bills this year for all of our campuses is going up by $900,000. So just yeah. under a million dollars in new utility costs and you know the when the legislature gives its appropriation it doesn't give us an appropriation to cover those specifically so we didn't have our appropriation go up by 900,000 to cover that tuition didn't change to cover that so that's just, we have to find ways to pay those bills. And, and those inflationary pressures are pushing on us, just like they are everyone. And so, as I've always said, and we'll, we'll keep saying, our universities in Idaho operate on two funding sources. Just, I mean, there's other little pockets of money, but ultimately there's two primary funding sources. It's the tuition and it's the state appropriation. <laughs> So either the state has to cover it by appropriation or student tuition dollars, because that's really the only two drivers.
0: I wanted to ask, I mean, since you brought up state appropriations, I'm I'm curious at this point of what you're expecting, maybe in terms of what we saw with the special session and that $80 million fund for in-demand careers, do you have a sense of how that might play out at Idaho State, uh, how that might be?
1: we're very excited about that. And first, you know, full credit to the governor and to the legislature for passing that funding. That That's the single largest investment I have ever seen in my career in Idaho into a fund for higher education. So it, um, I think my colleagues and I are very excited about the possibilities of that. Now, what we've been told so far is that it's not just new money for higher ed for whatever, but it is targeted. So. Uh, for these in-demand careers, well, the good news is Idaho State University, in particular, offers um, degrees in some of m- most of the careers that are on the Department of Labor's hot jobs list.
0: When your emphasis is healthcare, you've got a lot of in-demand careers going on there, right? And we
1: and we have that right now. I mean, um, what if I? talk about how hospitals in Idaho, providers, help, um, insurance companies, et cetera, that are all pushing for more healthcare providers sure. in Idaho, and those are replete in the hot jobs list. That should be an area where we think, well, this makes sense. We'll probably have some proposals that could be funded by that. But again, Kevin, I don't want to speak for anyone because this is so new. This fund was just created... And I think we don't have all of our guidance yet from either the Legislative Budget Office or DFM on exactly how that money is gonna be allocated. But, but it, it, all of my colleagues around the state and I are all very excited for the possibility this could bring new funding for Idaho's colleges and universities.
0: Let me shift gears to something you announced uh, last month, uh, a move to try to get the campus to uh, carbon neutral. Can you walk me through a little bit more of what that's going to take, how long that might take to, to get there, and are there models like other campuses that have uh, gone down this path?
1: Well, let me start with the models, um, because uh, first I want to talk about two of our, um, two of our good supporters uh, that we have worked with um, and two industry leaders in Idaho that we have talked to and, and actively talked to about this before I made the announcement. And those are Idaho power and the Idaho national laboratory. Mm-hmm. You know, Idaho power has announced its carbon neutrality goal given a date and how they're going to get there. The Idaho national laboratory has announced its carbon neutrality goal and its date, and how they're going to get there. So our people on our campus are working with their counterparts at those two major you know, leaders in Idaho and as to how they did it and what are the right tools to get there and they actually have plans that we're looking at and so what i've learned from that is before i announce a date because of what i didn't do this fall is say by date right, x right and, the, yeah. and that was purposeful because what we have to do is learn what our carbon footprint is and what are the right ways to reduce it that are feasible that are realistic and how we get there And so we're gonna spend this next year studying that. So the goal is by next fall, we will announce what our date is and what the measures are to get there. But there are a couple of things that we know we're going to do. And one of them is um, solar power generation. We have lots of rooftops and lots of area where we can do that and do solar power generation. We've talked with Idaho Power uh, about working with them on this and about making an, an academic endeavor where Our solar power generation is run by our faculty and our students as part of our um, electrical engineering, mechanical engineering. So we are able to monitor how that gets used, look for innovations. And then as I mentioned, we're going to take the the first amounts of that solar power we generate on campus and um, dedicate it to our residence halls so that our students will know when they live on our campus that they're living a very carbon neutral or, or a lower carbon footprint right from the start because mm-hmm. their living environment will be powered by the sun so between that and um we're installing charging stations for electric vehicles and i'm asking our university fleet so our vehicles we actually own as a university to start transitioning those to either hybrid or electric mm-hmm. vehicles so that we can start taking those initiatives and then we know others um, Our composting program, our recycling programs, we're working on those. But I am honestly not trying to make a lot of pronouncements because I want to do it right and have the right experts tell us the right plan Mm -hmm. because this is important. This is what we hear is one of our number one requests from our students, and it's just the right thing to do, I think, for our
0: environment. Right, and it's a considerable capital investment no matter how you go about it and when you go about it, so you're, you're trying to get a sense before you go there. Exactly,
1: it, because it will take resources, but if we do it right, it also gains us in resources, right? If we if we invest in the right power generation, like solar, it's going to decrease those utility bills. Like right. That. right. If earlier, if we there 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 are things we can take that we think it is won't all be about just new cost. It will be about um, investing in our
0: future. Something maybe a little bit more immediate that you also talked about last month. You, you challenged the campus community to really emphasize engagement and civil discourse. And I'm wondering, yeah, since a month into the school year, how is that manifesting itself? How has that been received?
1: Um, it's been received well.
0: Um, I
1: was in a faculty senate meeting last week where it came up talking about this as a positive, right? Because um, to, to in our campus, and I think on every campus, it, it crosses every discipline. The idea of, of civility and being civil discourse in areas where we disagree, including politically. You know, I think we've all felt that over the last few years, our society has been a lot of uh, rancor. Um, There's been a lot of... uh, just the way we talk to each other about sure. these political issues. And so, um, uh, the, so far the embracing of this, um, all in uh, campus democracy challenge, which actually was an initiative that was brought to us by the big sky conference. Um, the big sky conference brought, uh, took up this initiative on, on, in all of our member schools. So I was very happy with that association bearing some fruit outside of athletics. Right? It's a bearing fruit in this civic engagement. So, um, It's been well received. I've I've talked to members of the community who appreciate that on our campus appreciating that. So I think, I think it's going well.
0: I want to shift gears and ask about one other project you have going on, and that's the renovation at Holt Arena. I mean, I'm going to age myself a little bit. I, I moved to Pocatello in the mid eighties. I spent some time in Holt Arena. The photos I see, it looks, it looks really sharp. I mean, there's been a, a significant upgrade. And Beyond the sports aspect of it, because we don't really cover sports, how does that affect sort of the interface between Idaho State and the community? Because that's a facility that's used for high high school sports, it's used for a lot of other activities, and it's kind of the entry point for the community uh, onto the campus. So maybe talk a little bit about that project and its significance and what to look for in the future.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that, Kevin. I appreciate uh, that question in particular, because because you're right. Um, Arena is an athletics facility, but it means so much more than that to this community. Mm-hmm. Um, we do our graduation ceremonies there, our commencement ceremonies for the university. The high schools do their graduation right. ceremonies there. Um, community events take place there. Uh, economic trade shows take place there. So many people in this community have so many experiences in Holterina that it is a community facility, not just a sports facility. And so to me, our um, reinvestment in Holt Arena is really demonstrating that we are reinvesting in ourselves and our community's future. It isn't just about we want it to be better for football games or or track meets, that it is uh, uh, the university demonstrating that we are reinvesting in our future and our place in this community. And that's how I think it's being received. That's why the community is excited about it. Isn't just well, there's you know six home football games a year that they want to use this facility, but it's it's all of the uses for right. our community. And I think that type of reinvestment, it's also the reinvestment we're doing as we're reinvesting in Leonard Hall with our farm, school of pharmacy. Mm-hmm. Um, about you know that's our oldest college on campus, and we're doing a major renovation in that right. facility for its future. So I think what I've said is. If for us to be the best version of ourselves as a university, we have to invest in ourselves and show our community that we are investing in that future. And that's, to me, what this
0: represents. I'm hoping I look at it firsthand here one of these days soon. President Satterly, as always, I appreciate your time. And uh, thanks for being here this week. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate your time, too, Kevin. Thanks for all you do. Again, that was Kevin Satterly, the president at Idaho State University. Well, as usual, we have a lot of news for you at the website at idahoednews.org. Let me walk you through a few of this week's headlines. Emergency teacher authorizations. Now, this is a process we've uh, written about before. This allows schools to plug teachers into hard to fill positions, even if those teachers aren't qualified for the opening. Those emergency authorizations are way up this year. And it may be another sign of what's uh, happening in terms of Idaho's teacher shortage Sadie Dittenber has that story. Emergency levies. Now, these are levies that school districts can impose without voter approval if enrollment increases. Two districts around the state are going down that route. Devin Bodkin has the story. He'll tell you which districts are imposing these levies and talk to one administrator about why they made that decision. Carly Flandreau has a story about Early Education in Rural Idaho, a program that's going to allow three rural districts to offer early education. She tells you which districts are making that move and who's paying for it. I have a couple of stories that you might want to check out. State Superintendent Sherry Ibarra handed out more than $600,000 in one-time bonuses basically to every staffer at the State Department of Education. That happened this spring before and after the May primary. And it also comes as employees at the uh, department are going to get across the board pay raises. We have all the numbers for you and we talk about the political implications. That's a piece I published on Wednesday. You can find that at Idoednews.org. And earlier in the week, I took a look at the porn literacy controversy that uh, took flight last week as the Idaho Freedom Foundation alleged that uh, the State Department of Health and Welfare is pushing a porn literacy friendly sex education curriculum. I take a look at the claims and I take a look at the reality of how sex education works in Idaho schools and how curriculum is chosen in Idaho schools. That's a story I published on Monday. You can check that one out as well at idahoednews.org. Follow us on the website daily for the latest in education news. Follow us on Twitter at Idaho Ed News. We tweet out links to our latest stories and bulletins on breaking items follow us on Facebook and comment on our stories there. And check back here next week for another edition of the podcast. I'm Kevin Richard. Have a good week.